year is to make New Year's resolutions. Uh, so I did a little researching this week to try to find out what are the most popular resolutions. And while I'm not sure I've got it nailed down to the exact top 10, here are 10 that are very popular. Let's see if these sound familiar to you in no particular order. Uh, number one, get fit or lose weight. Two, eat healthier. Three, quit smoking. Four, quit drinking. Five, enjoy life more. Six, get out of debt. Seven, get organized. Eight, learn something new. Nine, spend more time with family. And ten, help others. I think these, I assume these sound familiar to you when I read these lists. I thought, well, yeah, these are, these are our resolutions. You can, you can count on the fact that right now around our country, you've got lots and lots of people, millions of people, who are, are taking a moment for self-reflection, and, and they're going to end up on something from this list. You think, well, what am I supposed to change this year? Well, I'll probably change one of these things. This is just the, the rails that we run on. Uh, when we think about things that we can change, especially in the new year, our minds go to these 10 or so options. Well, I'm going to lose weight this year. I'm going to get fit this year. Uh, I'm going to quit smoking this year. I'm going to get organized or out of debt. It's just where we go. When we think about what to change, we think, well, I'm going to change some of these things. What I want to kind of guide us to today, though, is to think, well, maybe there are some different options. Maybe these aren't the only things or even the best things that we ought to be changing this year. If we're going to make resolutions, we want them to be the right ones. Right? If, we want, if we want to set goals this year, we want them to be the right goals because, uh, as, as we all know, Real change is hard, uh, it's costly, it takes a lot of effort. So if you're going to put in a lot of effort this year, a lot of effort into changing, I want to make sure that we're going to the right places, that we're going to the right goals. Um, you know, I think of change a lot like getting in a, going on a long car trip. Uh, long car trips are costly, especially if you have, if you have young children. Uh, there's a lot involved with, with getting in the car and packing everybody up, and, and there's just a cost involved in being in a car with young children for a long period of time. It's, it's just it's tiring. You, so you want to make sure that if you're going to take a long car trip, that your destination is the right one. So I did a, a little research this week, and I found that if you were getting a car and drive for three and a half hours from here, uh, you could end up at Six Flags St. Louis. That would be a good destination. Uh, kid is very excited about that. You could do that. Now, at the same time, you could get in the car, you could pack up everybody, you could drive the same three and a half hours and also end up in Ottumwa, Iowa. Yes. Now, now I have nothing against Iowa, right? I, I like Iowa. I've lived in Iowa. It's a great place. Uh, but if I'm going to pack up my children and everybody in the car and we're going to drive for three and a half hours, when, when we get there and I get out of the car, I want to be able to say, kids, we're at Six Flags and not, we're here in Ottumwa. I don't even know what we're going to do, but... We made it, you know. It, the, the point being, when, when you make a long trip, when you, when you have, um, when you know you're going to sacrifice, when there's a cost involved, you want to make sure that paying that cost is worth it. Uh, you don't want to waste your New Year's resolution and find out you've ended up in Ottumwa, Iowa. Unless that's a place that's really near and dear to your heart. Uh, you want to you set a goal that's worthwhile, that's worth the cost, that's worth the change. And that's what I want to direct our attention to these first three weeks of the year. Really, we're going to do a short series uh, about change, about how to change, where, what we should be changing, how God changes us 
And today, I want to focus on uh, this goal-setting aspect of it, uh, making sure that we really are going the right direction. What are the resolutions that we ought to be making? So we're going to be focused in the next three weeks on one particular passage in the Bible. It's in Galatians chapter 5. If you want to use the Red Pew Bibles in front of you, it's page 785. Uh, otherwise, just flip to Galatians chapter 5. What I want to do this morning as we look at this passage is ask us three questions to walk through it. Three questions about change. The first one is, do you need to change? The second, why do you need to change? And then third, what do you really need to change? So if in your Bibles, if you could turn to Galatians chapter 5, we'll just start in verse 16 and I'll read through the end of the chapter. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So from this passage today, I want to ask three questions. We're going to camp out here for the next three weeks, but today I want to ask three questions. First, do you need to change? Secondly, why do you need to change? And third, what do you really need to change? So let's jump right in. First, do you need to change? Do you need to change? Uh, This is a hard question, actually. It's a very hard question for us to face up to because the the key word is need. I'm asking, do you need to change? It's a different question than what most people think about uh, New Year's time. Uh, I'm not asking you, do you want to change? I'm not asking, are you are you basically happy with the way you are? But if you would if if, some, if you would change if you would happen to change over the course of this year and and you'd get a little bit better, would that be a nice thing? Would you like that? Uh, But if you didn't, you know, you could live with that and that'd be fine. I'm not asking, do you, do you want to change? Like, wouldn't it be nice if some things would change? But do you need to change? Uh, that's, that's a hard question because it implies, if you say yes, it implies that there's something wrong with you. It implies that there's something wrong with you right now that needs to change. Uh, now, it's an important question. It's, you know, for those of you who are familiar with the 12-step programs, that's where you start, right? You have to start with saying, uh, I have a problem. I really have a problem and I need to change. And it's, it's a hard question, though, because we can think, well, that, that's fine for alcoholics. Uh, I can see that they need to change, but I don't know if I'm ready to answer that question in the affirmative yet. I mean, do I, do I really, do I need to change? It's a hard question to answer. It's a hard question to say yes to because it implies that there's something wrong with you, that you're broken, that in some way you have to get what's wrong with you fixed. So it's hard to answer yes to that question, but let me just warn you, uh, if you answer no to that question, then it may be a sign that there's something much deeper wrong with you. 
because when you look biblically at how the Bible describes change in the Christian life, um, the things that don't change are the things that are dead. Uh, but, but living things, living things change. See, so you don't need to change if you're dead. So you can answer no to that question if you're dead. You don't need to change. You're just, you're just dead. Uh, but if you're a living thing, biblically, uh, even just in life, botanically, living things change. In fact, if you look at Galatians 5.22, this is where I'm getting this, uh, Galatians 5.22, where Paul describes these characteristics that ought to be ours in increasing abundance, he calls them fruit. And this is not a, a, an odd occurrence in the Bible for, for someone to use an agricultural or botanical metaphor to talk about the Christian life. This is a very normal thing. Uh, the Christian life is talked about in terms of growing plants, of agriculture and botany. And the thing about plants is that when they're alive, they change. If they're really alive, they need to change. To stay alive, you have to change. If you plant a garden and over the course of a season it doesn't change at all, you've got a problem with your garden. And if, if year after year you keep planting the seeds and nothing comes up, there's no change, that's a serious problem with your garden. This is how Jesus describes it in John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So in these two verses in John 15, Jesus gives us two categories of people. He says there's the people who don't change, and there's the people who change. Uh, first, he says there's the ones who don't change. There's the branches that do not bear fruit. They get taken away, cut off. Down there in verse, seven, or verse 6, he says that those branches get gathered up and thrown into the fire. All they're good for, being dead wood, is just to be burned for fuel. He says that's one category of people, those who don't change. And he says there's another category of people, those who do change says those who bear fruit, they're changing, they're bearing fruit. And then the thing with them is that they change even more. God comes in and he prunes them so that they could change even more and bear more fruit. See, the expectation, the normal way that life works is that you change. If you're a living thing, if you have real spiritual life, then you will change. It can be intimidating, it can be humbling to have to answer that question, yes, when I ask you, do you need to change? But it's far worse to say no. Because if you say no, I don't need to change, then what you're really saying is that I'm dead. And the Spirit of God is not at work in my life. See, in the Bible, change is an important sign of life and health. So for the sake of argument, I'm just going to say, let's all say yes to that. Yes, we need to change. So the second question then, to move on, why do we need to change? Well, I'm sure a lot of us right now are giving the bad answer, because I've kind of led you that way. Uh, the bad answer, the bad reason to change is to say, well, I need to earn acceptance before God. Now, the reason why I think some of you are there already is because uh, I've tried to kind of frighten you a little bit. And I'm sure some of you, at least in the back of your minds, uh, maybe you're saying, pastor's wrong because you're thinking this. Uh, some of you in the back of your minds are thinking, uh, wait a minute, you're saying I need, to, I need to bear fruit in order to prove that I'm alive? Uh, like, well, if I, so if I'm not changing this year, does that mean Jesus is going to cut me off and he's going to throw me in the fire? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. Am I, not ch am I changing enough? Am I not changing enough? And, and so you're, you're kind of scared a little bit. I've thrown the gauntlet down. So you've got to change to prove that you're alive, right? And so maybe, maybe you're taking up the gauntlet. 
in your own mind. You're saying, all right, I've got to change to prove I'm alive. I'm going to change this year. What do I have to do? All right, let's look at Galatians chapter 5. Oh, there's a list. Good. Galatians 5.19. Here's things not to do. All right, this year, I'm not going to do these things. I'm going to show God. I'm going to show the pastor. I'm going to bear fruit. No more sexuality. No more impurity. No more sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, all these things. All right, those are done. All right, there's my list of things not to do. All right, what do I have to do? Great. There's a list there too. Verse 22. All right, I'm going to bear, I'm going to have love. I'm going to have joy, peace, patience, kindness. I'll show them. I'll prove to God. I'll prove the pastor that I've got fruit, that I'm alive. I can do all this. And it sounds like a great plan until you recognize that there's a difference between verse 19 and verse 22. And that verse 19, all these things are called the works of the flesh. And in verse 22, all these things are called the fruit of the Spirit. You see, you had this great plan. You said, I'm going I'm to work it out. I'm going to prove that I've got fruit. I'm going to change this year. I'm going to stop doing the works of the flesh, and I'm going to start doing the works of the Spirit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear fruit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it happen. But you can't make it happen. See, that's the thing about the Christian life. You can't force it to happen. That's why Paul here calls it the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the Spirit. The works of the flesh, you can do those. I mean, that's easy. You can, you can do those. You can work sexual morality. You can, you can muster up envy like, a, like that. That's not hard. Oh, but the, but the Spirit, you can't work these things. You can't force joy or love or peace or patience. It's got to come as a fruit. You can't do it to earn acceptance before God. I've used this illustration before, but it's just it's so good, um, I'm going to keep using it. Uh, I, I've got an apple tree in my backyard. And right now, you cannot tell whether it's alive or dead. I mean, just looking at it, you're like, well, is that, a, is that tree alive? Is it dead? I would really like for it to be alive. Uh, so one thing I could do is I could go to Kroger, and I could buy a bunch of apples, and I could bring them home, and I could get out the tape, and I could tape the apples onto the, onto the apple tree, or maybe use yarn or something, and get, it, get them all covered with apples. And then I could look at the tree and say, look, there's fruit on my tree. It must be alive. But that's not the way it works, is it? That that's not how real fruit comes. There's no e- that's no evidence that the tree itself is alive. It's just evidence that I've worked really hard to force fruit and try to fake people. And yet that's what we do in, in the Christian life. We say, oh, there's works of the flesh and then there's works of the spirit. And what I have to do is I have to force these fruit. And so we work so hard trying to give the appearance of life trying to earn acceptance before God, say, look, I'm changing. Look, I'm a, I'm a good person. God, accept me. Well, that's not how it works. See, it's not that we earn acceptance before God by our changing, by our good actions. It's that we've already been accepted by God, and the fact that we've been accepted by God drives us to live holy lives. So the bad reason, we don't change to earn acceptance before God. We change, in fact, because we've already been accepted by God. Look at verse 24 and notice the order. Verse 24, it says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So you've got two things there. You've got belonging to Christ Jesus and you've got crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. The order is significant. You've got those who already belong to Christ Jesus. That's the people who have put their faith in Jesus, who've been forgiven by sins, been adopted by God, they already belong. Then they have crucified their sinful desires. That Then comes the change. Then comes the holiness. You can't flip it around. You can't say those who have successfully crucified their flesh and their sinful desires belong to Jesus. 
the, the order is not reversible. You can't say those who have done a good job at changing and, and, and making their lives look holy, then they're good enough that they can now belong to Jesus. The, the order matters. You, you are accepted by God, and that acceptance by God drives your desire to change and your ability to change. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 tells us what happens when we belong to Christ Jesus. It says what happens when you belong to Christ Jesus is that God himself moves in to your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. See, the truth is, when you're accepted by God, when you belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves into your body. The Holy Spirit moves in. That's a significant change that then drives your desire to get cleaned up. One mistake that we make with with God uh, is that we we think of him maybe as like a renter in our life. So so if you're going to have somebody, if you've got an extra room in your house, say, and and you want to get someone to rent it, uh, you'll clean up your house, right? If you want to get somebody if you want to get a good renter anyway, you'll clean up your house so that it's, it's pretty nice and neat and the renter will say, yeah, I want to stay here. This is a nice place. And you'll keep your house relatively nice and clean so that the renter will stay there and keep giving you the rent. And, and that's how we approach God sometimes. That's the, that's the acceptance, trying to earn acceptance by our actions. We'll say, well, I would like for God to move in my life, so I'm going to clean up enough so that he feels like I'm a good place to live. I just get rid of some of these sins and he'll move in and then I'll keep my life uh, relatively under control and clean so that he doesn't want to move out and every month I'll get some benefit from him and that God's in my life so he's going to give me blessing and, and acceptance and, and all these good things. He'll take care of me. Uh, but that's not how our relationship with God works, is it? He, he's not a renter that we're trying to convince to move into our house because we're so clean. No. Our relationship with God is much more like that of a spouse. That is when we... Have a, you know, when we enter into a relationship with God, it's like we've gotten married and he moves in with us and he's not going to leave because we forget to pick up our socks. Uh, but he's, he's there now. He, he's in. He's moved into your house. He's with you. He's committed to you. And so out of love for him and out of just common decency, you want to clean up your life. You want to clean up the house. You want to make it a good place for him to live, like I hope all of you do for your spouses. Maybe that's a New Year's resolution for later. Uh, I watched the show Hoarders for the first time this week. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that show or heard about it. Uh, this is a show on, I think it's A&E. Um, it's probably the last time I watched the show, but it's, it was frustrating. Uh, it's a show about these folks, these real people, who have a, a real problem, an obsessive uh, disorder, where they uh, are, are extreme pack rats. They just cannot throw away anything. And, and so the show comes in, and they show you their life, and then they try to bring some change into their life. Uh, so I watched this episode, and there's a couple people, and the houses are just ridiculous. They're, they're, they're sickening in the filth and the piles of old newspapers and garbage collected uh, from the garbage or from uh, yard sales or just things accumulated over years, and, and they, they cannot get rid of anything. And as I'm watching the show, I wanted to yell at the TV, and, and maybe I even did yell at the TV, uh, and, and just get so frustrated with them and say, you've you got to get rid of this stuff. It's, it's killing you. It's, it's destroying your life. It's destroying your family. You can't live like this. And, and the folks on the TV show who are trying to help would say the same thing to them, and they would say, it's fine. 
No, it's fine. I can live like this. I can handle it. I'm, I'm used to it. It's not hurting me. It's fine. And in some ways, I think that we can see ourselves in them. Uh, we might not be hoarding old Happy Meal toys uh, or newspaper clippings, uh, but we're sin hoarders. Now, you know, we've got piles of envy sitting over there, or these, you know, these old boxes of sexual morality. We're just like, I don't want to get rid of that. I just, I can't get rid of that. It's not bothering anybody. It's fine. But do you realize that it is bothering someone? It's bothering you. And Jesus is sitting on the couch, you know, where, where the little, little rats of, of, uh, of dissension are running around on his feet. And, and you've got these big piles of strife and jealousy and, and you know, that old, uh, old box of uh, fits of anger that you just, you know, oh, I'm going to use that someday. Uh, I, I don't want to get rid of that. You know, God has moved into the house. Um, if you can, you know, if you watch that show, if you watch Hoarders, you get disgusted with those people. But I want to tell you, look in the mirror. I did. And it was disgusting to see what things I was tolerating and continue to tolerate. Although God has moved in to my body. Now the wonderful thing, wonderful thing is that God in his infinite patience is not yelling at the television, telling you, if you don't clean this up, I am out of here. Okay, he's committed. He's staying with you. But in his love and kindness towards you, he's urging you to clean it up. Because it's not just going to be better for him, it's going to be better for you too. See, we need to change. We've got this stuff. Look at verse 19. Go back to the Ten Commandments if you want to sometime. Read it over and see, yeah, there is sin in my life. We need to change. Not to earn God's acceptance, not to convince him to move in or to stay with us, but because he has moved in. Because he lives in our bodies and he wants the best for us. Having established that, we can now move on finally to question number three, which is where we usually start. What do you really need to change? What do you really need to change? The thing with New Year's resolutions, in general, is that they're often about behavior. They're often about superficial, external things. What activity, what actions should I change this year? What should I do differently? But I hope you can see by now in this passage that God cares much more about your character than he does uh, your external actions. You can have a, a dead tree with lots of lovely fruit you just bought at Kroger, uh, but what God really cares about is the tree alive, is your heart being changed. What God cares about are these things in verse 22, these characteristics. And these characteristics are not just a, a random list of nice things, as if God could have said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, envy, patience, kindness, goodness. Uh, it's not a random list. Where God just said, these are the things I want you to be. It's a list that reflects the very character of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit that reflects the character of the Spirit. It's, it's a list of qualities that Jesus himself demonstrated. It's the character of God. So Romans 8, 29 says that uh, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Uh, God loves Jesus so much that he chose you that he might make you to look more like him every day. That's the whole point of life is that you become more and more like Jesus, that you would bear these fruit more and more in your life. And so what God is calling us to 
the real change that we ought to be targeting are these things in verse 22, these fruit of the Spirit. I mean, what, what, what you really want this year, deep in your heart, what you've been made to be this year is this sort of person. What you really want this year is to be a loving person, to be a person who cares genuinely about others. What you want this year is to be joyful, so that no matter what the circumstances, you have deep wells of joy that nothing can shake. Uh, What you really want this year is to be a person of peace. Again, a person who, no matter what happens, you're not a slave to anxiety or to the, the, the circumstances that come against you. You have peace no matter what. You, you want that. That's what you're made to be. You want to have patience this year. Not flying off the handle at the littlest thing, but having patience. You want to be kind and good this year. Predisposed to, to do what is good for other people, to do what is right. You want to be faithful this year, trustworthy, someone with integrity that can be counted on. You're going to be gentle. You want to have self-control, not a slave to your passions and pleasures. See, this is the change that we really need. This is what God has made us for, to make us to be like Jesus. And so if we're going to make resolutions, it's far better to start here and say, this year I want to be more like the Spirit. I want to have more of this fruit in my life. At this point, though, I hope there's at least someone here who has an objection. I hope there's someone here who is disappointed with where I've gone so far uh, because you're thinking, yeah, but pastor, you've just hyper-spiritualized everything. You've just taken away the capacity to make actual New Year's resolutions. My doctor said I need to lose weight, and, and I think that would be a good thing. Can't I just lose weight? Is that unspiritual? Is that wrong? Do I need to... Do I, do, no, no, I can't. I'm not going to make a resolution to lose weight. I'm just going to resolve to be more patient this year. Uh, n- n- that's, that's a good objection. I hope some of you had that. That's why I want to address that. No, I'm not saying uh, we have to hyper-spiritualize everything and you have to check out from real life and now you just have to be this kind of Buddhist person walking around saying all I want to do is just love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, No, I'm saying you can make, and please do make real, practical, uh, rubber-meets-the-road resolutions this year, but I want you to go deeper. Don't just make the typical resolutions and think that that's all that you need. I want you to go deeper. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Let's just start with losing weight, since that's always number one for everybody. Uh, Losing weight. Is it fine to make that resolution? Sure. It's a fine resolution to make. You can resolve to lose weight this year. But I want you to see that what you really need is not just to lose a few pounds. What you really need is self-control. Okay? You, you don't just need to lose weight as if you could lose weight and then you'd be a better person. Uh, the the, the, the over, overweightedness, the, not having, you know, the, the need to lose weight, that's a symptom. And I'm speaking generally here. That's a, that's a symptom. What you don't need, you don't need to just lose weight. What you need is more self-control. You, and and you, could, you could put most New Year's resolutions in this category. Uh, you don't need to quit smoking. You need self-control. You don't need to eat more healthy foods. You need self-control and not eating chocolate all the time. You know, you, this, the root problem is deeper than just what the resolution would have. But here's the great thing. If you go deeper, if you address the root problem, if you get that fruit of self-control, 
you just knocked out eight of the resolutions. You just knocked out all, you know, all these problems. If you get the root problem, the symptoms take care of themselves. You just try to tack out the symptoms, you're playing whack-a-mole. Another one pops up when you get one conquered. What about this? Time with kids. That's, that's a good one, right? That's a good resolution. Maybe last year you didn't spend enough time with your children or your family, your friends. Okay, that can be a good resolution to make. But the problem last year was not that you didn't want to spend more time with your kids. The problem last year was that you didn't have peace. Okay, the, the problem was that you didn't have peace. So you're worried about your job. You're worried about your career advancement. You were worried and preoccupied with work, and you couldn't let it go. You, you couldn't quit. You couldn't knock off for the day and leave it at the office and go home and be with your family. The problem wasn't that you didn't want to spend time with your kids. The problem was that you didn't have peace. But if you have peace, if you get that fruit of the Spirit, that confidence that God is the one providing for you, not you through your hard work, then you can work hard, you can clock out, you can go home, and when you're with your kids, you can be present with your kids, not thinking and being consumed by all the, the, the things that you've yet to do the next day. You see how that works? Okay? You take care of the symptom, it affects all of the problem. Or you take care of the root problem, it affects all the symptoms. Let's give me a couple more. Help others more. I, I like that one when I saw it on the list. I thought that, that really sounds nice, doesn't it? It's, it's a very generous uh, resolution. Like, I'm going to put nine about myself, and then I'm going to throw in another one about other people. I'm going to help other people more this year. Okay, that's a good resolution. I think we should all be helping other people more. But, but I find it hard to believe that anyone would make that resolution as, so, as sort of like a lightning bolt out of the sky, like, oh, I should be helping people more. I never thought about that. No, you, you knew that you should be helping people last year. Why didn't you help people last year? It's not because you didn't make a resolution. It's because you didn't love them. If you really love people, then you would help them. So you don't need to make a resolution to say, oh, I ought to be a better person. Just let the Spirit bear his fruit in your life and you will become a better person. If you have love that comes from the Spirit, then when you encounter someone in need, you will naturally respond by helping them. You don't have to feel guilt and be like, oh, I made that resolution to help people this year. Better do that. No, it comes from the Spirit in your life. Or how about this? How about all those resolutions that you want to make for other people? Like all those things that you want other people to change, whether it's the resolutions that you write down for your spouse this year. Don't recommend that. Uh, or the things that you uh, have for, for your coworkers to say, I really want them to change this year. I want them to just, now you're not going to make real resolutions, but you've got that thought, don't you? Like, wouldn't life be easier if everybody else got their act together? What you, do, what you need this year is not for those people in your life who annoy you to change. What you need this year is patience. So those things that they do to annoy you don't annoy you anymore. So those things that make you suffer, you can endure because you now have long-suffering. So you, you, you don't need, you don't need to wait for those other people to change, for your life to get better. What you need is to bear the fruit of the Spirit so that you now have patience and you can endure and in, and in fact have joy and peace and love for these annoying people that now you love because the Spirit's been at work in your hearts. We can go on and on and on and I encourage you to go through that process for yourself today. But the point is this. What you really need to change is your character. That doesn't mean that we become detached from the world as if it has no bearing on real life, but in fact we become more involved in the world. We go deeper. We realize the reason that we need to change these surface level things is because we've got heart level problems. 
And as we begin with those, then that takes care of all these different symptoms. We had no idea were connected. See, what God wants us to really change is to change our hearts, because that's where we get real change. You ever wonder why your New Year's resolutions fail so often? It's because you're only going surface level. If you connect it to the heart, and you let the Spirit work in you, then you'll see real change and real success. The next two weeks, we're going to unpack this more, and we're going to talk more about the how. Some of you probably noticed I haven't really told you how to do this yet. Uh, But I'm going to give you some cliff notes uh, just to summarize today so that you don't get left on your own. Um, So how? How do we actually change these things? How do we bear the fruit of the Spirit? Um, First, the fruit of the Spirit requires the Spirit. That's that's an obvious step that a lot of people miss. The fruit of the Spirit requires that you have the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is that you need to have the Holy Spirit. How do you get the Holy Spirit? By putting your faith in Jesus. When you accept Jesus as your Savior and you let him forgive your sins and you give your life over to him, the Holy Spirit moves into your body and you have the Holy Spirit. That's got to be step one. Once you do that then, the next thing to do is to identify your need. What, what is it that you need to change? Look in your life. It's going to be different for all of you. And you can start with the typical surface 10 uh, New Year's resolution things. Look at the practical things. Where in your life do you see that you have a need for change, that life's not working right? And then take that need and then go to this list in verse 22 and 23 of Galatians 5 and start asking the Lord, what is it that's below this problem? Do I need more love? Do I need more joy? Is it a lack of peace? Do I need patience? It'll become obvious pretty quickly, I think. If you have trouble, you can ask your spouse or someone who knows you well. They can point it out for you. And then when you see that, when you see that root need, begin asking God for it. Don't rush off and start trying to paste the apples on the tree. Begin asking God for it. You've identified the need. You've seen where it is. And now start asking God and start praying you know, every day. Lord, would you give me patience today? And you know that's a dangerous prayer, but that's what we need. We need God to change us. Final word just to wrap up. It's never too late. It's never too late. All of us are young enough to change. None of us is too set in our ways to change. So this year, I want us to join together as a church, experience this exciting adventure of really trusting God, of really letting him change us, of, le- of that painful process, of letting him put his finger on that thing in our life that we need to change and saying, you're right, Lord. Would you please change that in me? And as he does that, we're going to become a congregation of people who are characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And don't you want to be a part of a family like that? Don't you want to be a person like that? Let's pray and ask God to do that for us. Holy Spirit, this is your fruit that we desire. And none of us has arrived. We all are in need of all of these characteristics in increasing abundance more and more. Oh God, would you help us? Would you give us some victories, even this week and this year, that we can see growth as we rest in you and trust in you, that you bring change. Give us hope, Lord, to know that change is possible. 
and give us a desire uh, as we see the beauty of the life that you have out for us, that we would want to have it. Lord, on behalf of all of your people here today, I ask you to bear your fruit in our lives. I look forward to see what you're going to do in the weeks and years to come. Um, We pray that as we do this as well, that other people would see the beauty of a life lived in dependence on you and that we might have the privilege of introducing others who don't yet have the Spirit to true and abundant life that we found in Christ. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.